0: Scripture, you'll see that as we go along. The book of Hebrews is an outstanding book. I've often said if I had to give somebody certain books to read in the Bible, I would choose the, the one account of the gospel, Gospel of Luke, followed by Acts, same author, followed by Romans, then Leviticus and Hebrews. Wonderful. Wonderful books. Let's do a little review. Hebrews 10 starts with the day of atonement. The idea of the day of atonement was the most glorious day of the whole year. It was a time of renewal, turning over a new leaf for the Jewish people. The temple and its furnishings were cleansed on that day. And sins of the high priest, regular priests, And the people were forgiven. In the Old Testament? Yes. The Old Testament. Look at Leviticus 16.21. This is the day of atonement. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat and send it away in the wilderness, By the hand of a suitable man. That is by a Gentile. Because the Jew would not take a goat that far on the day of atonement. Gentile would be accompanied by priests intermittently. They would go a Sabbath day's journey with him and then stop. Then another priest would go a Sabbath day's journey. The man who took that goat was a Gentile. When Leviticus 16.21 was written... A bullock had already been offered, sacrificed for the priests. So this was the common people. Now notice this word forgive. I mentioned that the high priest, regular priest, and and people's sins were forgiven that day. Notice the name forgive, the word forgive. It is. And don't get excited if you're a scientist. This is not NASA. It's Nassau. The word is from Nassau, a Hebrew word used. 648 times Old Testament, it means to lift, to bear up, to take away, to forgive. Ouch. Atonement, kophar, used 121 times the Old Testament, means to cover, purge away, reconcile. God forgave sins in the Old Testament, but he remembered them. He remembered them. Look at Jeremiah 31, verse 34, He makes a promise here, no more shall every man teach his neighbor, every man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sins I will remember no more. I will forgive them, remember those sins no more. What's different? Well, then he was forgiving sins and remembering those sins. Now, folks, that is not big, cold theology. Big cold theology was, if you don't forget it, it's not forgiven. That's not the case. Now, that's old big cold philosophy. I don't think Brother Chalmers and I have that belief today, but we had that belief back when I was a kid. Heard it preached many times. You forgive and forget. If you don't forget, you don't forgive. That's not true. God forgave in the Old Testament and remembered. In the New Testament, he forgives and forgets. Notice 1 John 4.10. In this is love that we have, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and his sons to be a propitiation for our sins. That's a big word. It means atonement. The word atonement is not necessarily translated in the New Testament. One time in, in some versions, no time in other versions, a few times in other versions, but it simply means a covering for sin. And sometimes, before the Lord's Supper, we sing this song that makes tears come to my eyes. Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Son of God was He, full atonement. Can it be hallelujah? What a Savior. There was no full atonement in the Old Testament. No full atonement. There was atonement. There was a covering for the sins of the flesh, but not for the conscience. In the New Testament, as a covering for the conscience and the sins of the flesh. Now let's get into Hebrews chapter 10, 1 and 2. This is our text as we cover this 10th chapter. <clears throat> for the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of these things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, day of atonement, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, For the worshiper, once purified, would have no more consciousness of sins. Hebrews writer, those sacrifices could not soothe the conscience, could not purify the conscience. They purified the flesh, and that's all. But in those sacrifices, there was a reminder of sin every year, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats, the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. Well, already in a contradiction here, you say because we just stated that the blood of bulls and goats, the atonement, took away sins, sent away sins. Let's reconcile that back to uh, Leviticus sixteen twenty-one. I want you to see it. I have it in all uh, black down here, boldface, concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat. They sent them away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The sins were sent out of Jerusalem, out of the uh, temple, out away from the people, and were taken and dumped in the wilderness. God removed those sins from the camp so he could tolerate his people for another year, but he was not destroying those sins. Those sins kept on existing. Why did God do that? That was the best he could do. Somebody said, whoa, God can do anything. No, he can't either. God can't do it. I can name a lot of things God couldn't do. He limited himself. And he is limited because he is God. He can't sin, for example. If he were sinning, if he would sin, he would not be God. He cannot tell a lie. God could not destroy these sins. He, it was He was incapable of destroying these sins. They had to be paid for. The price paid, you know what it was. The blood of Jesus Christ which had not in fact been shed, had been shed in God's mind, but had not been shed in history yet. Hebrews 10, 5 and 6, Therefore, when he came into the world, and Jesus came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin you had no pleasure. <laughs> Let's boil that down into language we can understand here. God, he says, God, you didn't like animal sacrifices. Isn't that what he said? In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure? Why then, God, did you command them? He did, didn't he? Look at note three. <clears throat> this is the guilt offering in Leviticus 5. Verses 5 and 6. And it shall be when he is guilty of any of these matters that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing. He shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord for his sin which he has committed a female from the flock. A lamb or a kid of goats as a sin offering so the priest shall make atonement for him concerning the flesh. And God, you're saying you don't like that? Yeah. Then why did you command it? It's the best I could do. The best God can do is something he doesn't like. That's right. He is dealing with sinful man. And he has no other way of dealing with him at that time. Because man would not understand the cross. God could not make it be. Have you ever thought how God could have quickly delivered Adam and Eve from their sin by putting a cross at the gate of the Garden of Eden and putting his son on it and letting them walk out and say, oh, there's an offering for our sins. They never could have thought it. Even after the law was established on Mount Sinai, it took God 1,500 years to lay a foundation so that man could understand what he was doing. And he laid it with the blood of animals and a priestly system that was imperfect. To a human race that was imperfect. And then finally, he was able to develop the real thing. The blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, 7 through 9. Then I said, behold, I, I have come and the volume of the book it is written to me in the Old Testament. To do your will, O God, previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings, offerings for the sin you did not desire, nor have pleasure in them. Already said that. God had no pleasure in animal sacrifices, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I've come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, but he may establish the second. Jesus Christ came to do the will of his father. What did he do? He became high priest. And the priesthood changed, and guess what? The law was made imperfect, was declared imperfect, I should say. Never was perfect, but declared imperfect. And a new law had to be. Don't get that mixed up. Don't start thinking that God developed a new law and then had to develop a new priesthood. Quite the opposite. He gave a new priesthood. The old priesthood. Priest lasted 30 years. High priest lasted 30 years. And then a new high priest. And a new high priest. And a new high priest. Men who were imperfect. Men who had sins. Men who had to sacrifice for themselves. Year by year. He finally gave us a priest that would be forever. And had no sins for which to sacrifice he took away the first the first law the first priesthood then we established the second in fact i think i explained this here in in verse four uh in in note four but I'll, I'll read what i have in hebrews seven we've already talked about that but i've i've tried to jump all over hebrews as we went through each chapter to show how it connects therefore perfection were through the levitical priesthood for under it the people received the law. What further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be uh, called according to the order of Aaron. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there's also a change of the law. Melchizedek had no father, no mother, no lineage of any kind. Nobody knew where he came from, where he was going. Nobody knew when he died. Jesus Christ is after the order of Melchizedek, not after the order of Aaron. We know when Aaron was born. We know when Aaron died. Period. That's it. Not this new priesthood. Now look at 1010. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. How many offerings did he give? He gave one. He offered that in the most holy place in heaven. After he died on the cross, he offered it one time. He does not continue to make offerings for our sins. He continues to beseech God on our behalf. He's an advocate with the Father, but he offered once for the sins of humanity. That is it. Offering in the Old Testament, once a year. There were other offerings, but the big offering on the Day of Atonement, once a year. When the sins were moved away from the people, moved out of Jerusalem into the wilderness. But next year, you'd be reminded that these are your sins. And they'd be moved again and again and again. And all your life, you got rid of the filth of the flesh. The flesh was cleansed, but never a purified conscience. You kept on remembering your sins and regretting your sins and kept on doing dead works that were not perfect for salvation. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. Every priest stands ministering daily. Notice he has the present tense here. AD 65 about that and He says the priests are still standing, ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. But this man, if he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. You still think Abraham had a better relationship with God than you do. You still believe Moses was better off than you spiritually. Still believe Isaiah was better off than you. That David had a closer relationship with God. Wrong. We have the perfect relationship with God. Thank God for that. 10, 15 through 18. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after these days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts. In their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. He remembered Moses. He remembered David's. He remembered Isaiah's. He remembered Daniel's but he does not remember ours. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sins. You don't have an offering for your sins made every day, every year. You had one made 2,000 years ago. For you. Your name on it. Everybody's name on it. Everybody hasn't taken advantage of it. But you have. At least I pray that you have. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. And this passage has changed my life. When I started preaching in 1963, I didn't understand this passage. A lot of things I didn't understand. A lot of things I still don't understand. But I love this. Therefore, brethren, having boldness... To enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. You know what would have happened four thousand years ago if you had entered the holiest? You would have died by God's hand. He would not have asked any questions. If you had sneaked into the temple and run to the back room, first of all, if you'd sneaked into the temple, you would have been dead to go into the holy place. But to gone behind the curtain, dead. High priest couldn't do that the day before atonement or the day after. He had to do it on the day of atonement. That was the only time he could go on the holiest. But look here. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Christ. How are we protected? How are we protected when we talk to God? When we enter his holy place? Jesus Christ at his right hand, our advocate, our mediator. And we talk to God. We are protected by the blood of Jesus Christ. This might be a little off subject, but it relates anyway. It nauseates me when I hear a man pray God, pray to God frivolously. I was at a football game one night years ago, and I never will forget, a youth director from some church prayed for the game and asked God to keep the players from killing themselves. Well, you might say, well, we don't want them to kill themselves. They're not going to. I've never seen that happen. It was a frivolous thing. In fact, the congregation, the uh, Fans laughed in the middle of the prayer. Made me sick. Therefore, brethren, have a boldness into the holiest by the blood of Christ, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. You know, the veil of the temple in Jerusalem, the shadow of the temple in heaven was rent in twain. At Jesus' death. But now there's a veil at that temple in heaven. It is the body of Jesus Christ. in flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance. Having our hearts sprinkled from evil conscience. See it there? Having our hearts sprinkled from evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. It's baptism. And our conscience is are separated, sprinkled from an evil conscience. The like figure wherein baptism saves us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the appeal to God for a clear conscience by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That happens at baptism. That's what baptism is. It is asking God to give us a clear conscience. And here it is again. Our hearts are sprinkled from evil conscience. Our bodies washed with pure water. I want us to dwell a little bit on Hebrews 10, verses 23 and 24. I want you to put on your eighty-sixty-five 65 glasses. This does have application to our 21st century, but I want to start in the first century. Let us hold fast the confession, confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promises faithful, let us consider one another to stir up to love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a matter of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, if we look at that in 21st century, we're going to say, this teaches us that we should assemble with the saints, and It does. It does. It goes on to say, if we willfully, sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. Does that mean if we miss a Sunday morning worship to go fishing, that we can't be saved? No, it means if the elders know it, they'll ask us about it and deal with us and help us to overcome that. It means Christians will encourage us not to do that because it's a sin. But but there's something a little more than that here. There's something more than that because the idea is if we keep on sinning willfully, if you keep on doing that, of course, and you do it to death, there's no sacrifice to take care of that. But here's the whole point. Back in 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a matter of some is. But exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. The word day is used in, uh, it begins with a capital letter in this text. It does not in all translations because it does not in the original. It would not in the original. The original uh, autographs uh, had one letter to start with the capital. At the beginning of each book, that's all. Or is Jesus and Lord and all that started in small letters? So this is no indication, but it simply says, the translators here saw this day as a special sort of day. Some say, well, that means Sunday, and we're, we're supposed to admonish one another so much more as we say, see Sunday coming. I want to ask you something. How many of you this coming Tuesday will see another Christian and say, come on, I hope you're in the assembly Sunday? We need you there. I'm talking about a brother or sister who's there every Sunday anyway. We don't do that. We don't need to do that. I do believe this is a special day he's talking about. We have two options. One is that the end time, as we see the end time approaching, uh, many people hold that view, and uh, that interpretation will work. Not the view I hold. The destruction of Jerusalem is at hand. And the writer says, I want you to remind each other that they cannot go back under the old law and look for salvation because the time is coming when they're going to see that won't work. If they can't see it now, they'll see it then. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, not abandoning the church. This idea is not leaving the church. Or a different kind of religion. That you came out of. Judaism. As a matter of some is. Some are already doing that he says. Exhort one another. So much the more as you see they are approaching. And yes. Brothers and sisters. Those who were going back into Judaism. Were warned by Christians. Admonished not to do that. And that's what he said here now. For if we sin willfully. The willful sin that is talked about here is not the missing of one assembly of the church. That is not good. That is wrong. That needs to be repented of. But if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Brother, you missed last Sunday morning and went fishing. You can't ever be saved. You are forever lost. And so, willful sin. And there's no sacrifice for that sin. That's not what is meant here. That sin you committed can be repented of. But this sin he's talking about here is not being repented of. It's an abandonment of Christ. It's going back to the old law. And there's no forgiveness in the old law. The days of all don't work anymore. Day of atonement is no good. There's no sacrifice for sin there. But there is a fearful expectation of judgment, fiery indignation, which will devour adversaries. I have some notes here. I guess I covered all of them. Do not waver. That should be do not waver instead of do waver. Do not waver because God is faithful. Uh, Consider one another. Provoke to love and good works. Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Exhort one another to see they approaching. For if we sin willfully, I talked about each of those points. Look at Hebrews 6. We talked about this once before. It has the, I believe it has the same meaning. For it's impossible for those who were once enlightened, have tasted the heavenly gift, have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the ages to come. If they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. If they go back to this Old Testament, go back to the animal sacrifices, go back to the renewal of the days of awe, the day of atonement, and so forth, if they go back there, there's nothing there for them. It is gone. It is over. Nailed to the cross. Can they be saved? Absolutely not. You, you you mean they can't come back to Christ? I didn't say that. He didn't say that either. When you go to stay, no chance of salvation. Hebrews six. You abandon Hebrews ten twenty five. A willful sin. You intended to do that. You sought justification by the law. You stay there. No chance of salvation. And he even goes down here in Hebrews 10, 28 and starts talking about Moses. Anyone who rejected Moses all dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment, you suppose, will he be thought worthy, who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace. You see what he's talking about, an abandonment of Christ. An abandonment of Christ if those things up here happen under Moses' law, dying without mercy because they rejected Moses' law, two or three witnesses committed a, an egregious sin, they kill him, they stone him, whatever, how much worse punishment will we get if we trample underfoot the Son of God, counted the blood of his covenant by which we were sanctified a common thing, insulting the Spirit of grace, There is no hope of salvation if you do not turn from that. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Absolutely. Amen. Hebrews 10.32. But I recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, that is, you saw the light. You endured a great struggle with sufferings partly while you were made a spectacle and I had to put that Greek word in there. (laughs) Theatrizo, which means we get our word theater from it. You were made a, everybody looking at you by both the reproaches and humiliations and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated or you had compassion on me in my chains. People saw their dedication. He commends them. Or being made a spectacle and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven that's easy to understand what is worth what part of our feelings is greater than heaven Is there anything on earth greater than heaven? Somebody's going to take all your goods. No, no, I'd rather go to hell. No, you hadn't either. It is crazy. I listen to uh, country music sometimes. You ever heard the song, If heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, I don't want to go? I stated one time, from the pulpit I said Hank Williams Jr. at this point doesn't have anything to worry about he ain't going an old brother in the assembly couldn't read he got really mad at me he said I can't read the Bible but I don't think his name's in the Bible and I don't think you said right when you called his name I did say right it is amazing I heard a song last night for the first time. This guy wanted a uh, a cabin in the outskirts of heaven where there were cotton fields and green grass and all that kind of stuff. That is sacrilege. I love the South, too. I love Big Cove. I don't want to insult you people who live there, but I liked it better when I had cotton fields. I worked in those cotton fields. But I don't want to go to a heaven like that. Heaven I'm going to is no comparison. Look at Moses. Hebrews 11, by faith, Moses, when he was become of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the riches of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to a, the reward. I see Moses sometime between the ages of 40 and 80. He is a shepherd. He is doing something a teenage boy could do, a preteen could do. He has been trained in Egypt. According to Josephus, he was a great warrior. He led the Egyptians into battles. He had anything he wanted. Air conditioning, if they had any. Carpets. Any woman he wanted. Any party he wanted to go to, he had everything. But the real thing. Somebody said it took Egypt forty years to educate Moses. It took God forty years to uneducate him. And then God used him forty years. Thank you, Moses. Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which is great reward. Or you have need of endurance, that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. What did he just say? You have need of endurance. I didn't know you had to endure. I thought if you received God, that was enough. You couldn't be lost. No, that's Calvinism. It's wrong. You don't endure. You don't endure to the end. You're not among the saved. For yet a little while, And who is coming will come and will not tarry. Probably the destruction of Jerusalem. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. If anyone who is living by faith draws back, I have no pleasure in him. For we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe in the saving of the soul. And the writer seems to me to be very positive here. We're just not that kind of people. Don't do it, is the idea. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at West Huntsville dot org.